Cyber Monday is over, and I guess it's time to conclude our mini-series on Amazon. To do so, we invited Priya Anand, the Amazon reporter for the information, to join behind the idea. One thing that came up in our conversation was the build-out of Amazon's physical footprint. She called out some of the limits to the experimentation process when talking about Amazon's five-star concept. To be honest, I walked into one, in, the one in Soho, and was like, this reminds me of like a Radio Shack plus the front of a Barnes & Noble, which maybe is not what they were going for, I imagine. At the same time, she acknowledged that there's a real cachet to these news stores like Amazon Go. Every time I go into one of the Amazon Go stores in Seattle, I was there a few months back and went to a store. I've been to the one in San Francisco. There are always people taking selfies in there. And you never see that in a normal store, of course. What will Amazon look like five years from now? Does the breakup Amazon movement have any momentum? We have one last discussion to see if we can put the pieces all together. This podcast was recorded November 9th, pre-HQ2 slash 3 backlash, and neither Priya nor I have any positions in any stocks mentioned. But we're here to see what else Amazon will take over in the years to come, so let's open the book one last time. Welcome to Behind the Idea, the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work. We're starting part four of our mini-series on Amazon, the retail giant. We're excited to welcome Priya Anand, the Amazon reporter for The Information, a leading tech news website, onto the podcast. We're going to be talking more about Amazon's competitive positioning, regulatory risk, whatever else seems to fit as Amazon can kind of be about everything. So Priya, welcome on to Behind the Idea. Thanks for having me. So I, I wanted to start, we're recording this just after the midterm elections. And also you had a recent article you published about how Amazon deals with President Trump and sort of their their policies around that. And obviously, President Trump also just spoke up again about Amazon. I'm curious, how much has actually changed for Amazon over the last couple of years, how much has the regulatory climate or the story for them changed as they continue to grow? You know, so one thing that's unique about this period in time for them is that no one's really had the kind of problem that they have right now with President Trump, who is, you know, routinely disparaging them over Twitter in ways that may not always be actually that accurate. So it's a unique issue that they're dealing with here. But despite the fact that, you know, it's very easy to dismiss these attacks from, from Trump. It's like, you know, they could be called misinformed in some cases. Um, the company tells some of its employees to say that he's misinformed about their deals with the post office and tax policy, etc. But at the same time, we are seeing more criticism from the right and the left of Amazon, or at least more attention, if not direct criticism. Right, a few weeks back, we saw Bernie Sanders coming out upset about how Amazon treats its warehouse workers. Amazon ended up lifting its minimum wage up to $15 an hour for its warehouse workers in response and, you know, got some praise from Bernie afterward as a result of that. But there are other people in Congress too, um, members of Congress like Ro Khanna, who represents part of Silicon Valley, who are saying, we need to at least scrutinize Amazon and see how they're affecting the competition and how they're pricing shakes out once their competitors are no longer as powerful in the field because of Amazon's strengths. And so 
you know, there are more people putting attention on this issue. The FTC also brought on Lena Khan, who I'm sure many people listening to this and you're very familiar with her Amazon's antitrust paradox piece in mm. the Yale Law Journal. I think it was, you know, last year at this point. And she's on board too, and they're doing these hearings to assess how they should view competition and consumer protection. So there's more chatter, at least in Washington, about Amazon and whether or not it should be looked at more closely. Does that translate into actual movement to regulate them? DC is a pretty slow place. The EU has been much faster on these things, and, and they're looking at how Amazon is a marketplace and a competitor to the merchants on its platform selling its own stuff and whether it benefits from having that insight into third-party sales. But we haven't seen that kind of swift movement in the U.S. One thing we have seen, though, is, is Trump was calling for a review, the post office to review their business deals and their practices. And whether or not Trump is involved, you know, the post office has been suffering for, for years, in some cases not for not directly related to companies like Amazon and people just don't send much snail mail anymore. There are lots of other problems the post office has. They did end up deciding there's this proposal the post office has to raise rates essentially across the board for next year. Um, it, it's not affecting only Amazon. It affects basically everyone who deals with the post office. And, you know, is it going to be that significant of a thing for Amazon? Who knows? But DC is a slow place is a short answer, I guess. Right. Right. So I, I want to come back to that, but I, I want to sort of look at Amazon itself for a second too, and how they're kind of a part of their power, their business power. You know, eventually it has to, in theory, flow towards profit. And you had written about how Amazon's retail business in the U.S. is producing profit, and I'm just curious if you, how you see, is there uh, one thing we've been wondering about is whether Amazon truly can achieve profit, like whether they will really get to the point where there's sort of the idea that they'll just stop investing and then they rake in the money, but they also kind of, the way they grow, they kind of have to keep investing. I don't know. How do you see, do you see that their business bends towards profit over the long haul? Is the retail, is what's happening in retail something that we should expect to happen with the rest of their business lines over time? Or how do you sort of see that playing out? Well, I think you know, their last earnings cycle was pretty interesting. So so I had written a few weeks back about how people forget, people call Amazon a money loser. Their retail business, it's not necessarily AWS, but it's still producing, you know, in the billions of dollars of operating income each year and has been for several years now. And in their last earnings cycle, these things are usually sort of dry for them. But that quarter, they really pared down their international retail losses too. So, you know, Amazon is so famous for reinvesting its profits. I, I think it's sort of a misnomer that people call it a money losing company at this point. And, you know, reinvesting is, is part of what ends up making them strong in the long haul. And I don't, I don't see them stopping that, right? They have so many initiatives that they're working on that are on the newer side. Like Alexa is fairly new still has not become outside of the device sales has not become a meaningful driver of sales. Uh, very few people use their devices to order stuff and voice shop, but they're looking at tons of other applications for Alexa. They've talked about implications on health, 
and in medicine for Alexa. Um, obviously, you know, they've got these deals with home builders to put Alexa in from the ground up sort of and have explored ways of doing that beyond just putting devices in certain rooms where they'd be prominently featured so people can use Alexa to order more Amazon home services and things like that. The experimentation's certainly not going away. And I, I think despite that, they're getting to the point where they're still on the retail side, proving to have significant profits. You had mentioned paring down the international losses. And one thing I'm curious about is, uh, is there a disconnect between what they've done in the US and international? Or do you just, from your vantage point, is it just a matter that we're earlier on in the international story and that they'll get to the US level eventually? Well, I think there there are Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. So China, they did not do well in, right? Um, as a result, Amazon does not want to lose out on India too, which is expected to be a huge market once it becomes more mature and more people go online and more people are comfortable shopping online. So they're investing really, really aggressively there right now. But I think the difference is that they have the advertising spigot turned on internationally now. Too, right? And they mentioned uh, this is probably two earnings calls back. Brian Osobsky, a CFO, had mentioned someone asked, you know, international losses are still existed, but they seem to be doing a little bit better. Why? And Osobsky pointed out that advertising is helping internationally too. So there is that. I, I think you're right. Like different part of the life cycle for certain countries. India is in a very early stage. They're making really aggressive investments there because they don't want to lose their Bezos had said publicly at some point that they want to invest, I think, $5 billion, he said there. They have obviously competition with Flipkart and, and Walmart's aggressive investment in Flipkart too. So that's not a market they want to lose. There are other international markets like the UK where they're you know, much more established and in a much later stage of their life cycle, I guess you could call it there, perhaps comparable to North America in some ways. But then you have places like India where it's still early stages and they're really trying to make sure they do things right now. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting because we, we spoke to Brad Stone as well and he had been, he, he had been going over the India plans recently and and it occurred to me when we were talking to him that it India is almost like a makeup makeup effort for Amazon after missing out on China. I'm curious Walmart has bought into Flipkart. I think they're a 75% owner there. Walmart is also and I, I've listened to some of your podcasts where you've talked about all the things that Walmart is doing. What is the sort of general what are these companies trying to do with their deal making? How are they identifying new targets to how are they deciding whether to build out things internally or to buy other companies? Like how are they sort of what where's that where's that dance right now between them? What are they each trying to do as be beyond beat the other the other side? Walmart in particular is in an interesting place because you know, they clearly saw they I think they made some moves a little late in the game to counter Amazon on the e-commerce side. Clearly, though, they don't want to be in the same position when it comes to reinventing their stores. They have a division that is stocked with entrepreneurs from various companies that they've plucked. Jenny Fleiss from Rent the Runway. They acquired Bonobos and put Andy Dunn in charge of another division there. 
they are trying to make sure their physical stores aren't left behind. They have a project called Kepler, a team called Kepler, run by one of the Jet co-founders who's close to Mark Laurie. And, and that idea is, you know, reinvent the physical store using AI, find ways to help us out. And expected to have some similarities to the Amazon Go efforts also there. But one thing I talked, I actually talked to them about this recently. I talked to Andy Dunn about how they're dealing with acquisition versus building stuff in-house. And one thing that they believe is that they should have their own sort of digitally native brands across essentially like every category that Walmart has, which is most stuff you could think to buy at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've acquired a plus size retailer recently. Obviously, Eddie Dunn's company, Bonobos. They have Modcloth. They acquired a company called Moostraw a little while back with a door and sporting goods. And they are thinking about how do we like have our own experience associated with all of these. And if we can't replicate something, like they started their own mattress brand called All's Well. It's like Walmart's version of Casper, basically online only. Um, and to them, it was like, well, there are tons of these mattress startups that get big pretty fast. And, you know, you can, you can catch up in that space. But do we think we can build a community around a plus size brand that has hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers like Eloquy did before they acquired them recently? Probably not as easily as we can make a mattress, which is definitely a commodity item. <laughs> And um, so they're thinking about those things. Sorry, so that was wait. Rambling. No, no, no. That was that was what what I'm interested in is when you say that Walmart. So essentially, in every conceivable category across, a, like we, you mostly mentioned apparel there, but I'm wondering if this spreads further. Walmart's approach beauty. is that beauty. Okay, so they they want to have their own brand. It's not necessarily branded as Walmart, but they want to have. It's not that they're trying to sell you everybody's brand they want to have their own in like owned 100% owned brand that they can lead a category with or that they can eventually push forward in a given category that's the strategy that is part of their strategy as described to me by Andy Dunn who's running it and any conceivable category like they're looking at everything they have this mattress thing they have now acquired a, a plus size fashion brand they have some other fashion brands of their own too now. They're looking at beauty closely, which is a huge space in industry. They think it's critical to their future to actually own these brands. It's an interesting strategy. How it works out for them, you know, I don't know. Like time will tell and it sounds like a cliche to say that, but that is their bet right now. And if you can't build it in-house, can you buy it? If you think you can recreate something within a couple of years that other people have succeeded in, then maybe it's not worth buying it and so they're doing that analysis across the board. They, as Andy said, they want to have something in every category, which is sort of an interesting way to go about rebuilding your business and positioning it for the future, I think. Well, it's different. I mean, Amazon's, I'm just trying to think, unpack in my head what Amazon's doing. They're not doing that. They're, I mean, they're, there's a fear that they'll, like you said, they'll kind of take the three part, third party seller information and they'll learn Amazon knows more than you or me what what either of us wants to buy next. But that, how does that? How is Amazon sort of tackling the same same thing, or do they just think about the problem differently? Well, they have tons of their own private label brands too. So, 
I think a lot of the retail industry is going toward these private label brands. I mean, Box, that startup that essentially delivers like office snacks and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's very popular for people in that space. They have their own Prince and Spring brand. Amazon has several dozen, at least several dozen at this point, private label brands for things like snacks. They have Amazon Basics microwaves and hot water kettles and stuff like that. They have all these, I mean, the battery example, I think is the most famous with Amazon, Amazon Basics right. batteries. And those being so popular now and that being sort of not great for other battery brands who used to sell on uh, the platform. So I, I think a lot of the retail industry these days is trying to figure out how to do private label better and make their brand just as cool or just as approachable or cheaper and make the packaging look nice enough that people think it's a good alternative. It's, it's great for those companies if, if they can succeed on that. I mean, it's, it's always better for the company to do something private label. It's cheaper for them. Right. So I think it's become this very trendy thing in retail now. Well, it's, it's, that doesn't sound very, we sort of, when we think about, for example, the categories Amazon is killing, we think about retail stores, but this now, I, I, it's not the first time the thought has, like, I think there are other people out there saying this, but like for consumer goods companies, all of a sudden this becomes really acute if both Amazon and Walmart and like you said, other retail retailers are really focused on this private label direction. I mean, there's a whole startup focused on, um, private label essentially like household and consumer packaged goods called brandless right and it's okay. it's doing exactly this and it's the whole company is based on that everything's about three dollars or you a packet of two will be three dollars in some cases and everything is just their own brand called brandless so so that that sets up the, a question that mike had my my co-host who isn't here today was that amazon gets a lot of credit and we can probably apply this a little bit to Walmart too, but Amazon get, seems to get credit for vertically integrating, for doing more and more stuff in-house rather than, you know, being maniacally focused on one part of the process. What do you think of it? Maybe that's, that gets us back to the regulation questions, but what do you think about that? Is that justified that Amazon, the example he had was that if we Amazon's obsessed with improving their logistics and their delivery capacity. And so the market, you could imagine that it, Amazon announced that they were just going to deliver their own packages. The market's reaction would be, that's great for Amazon. Sorry, sorry for you, UPS. Is that just a, like, is there a limit to what Amazon can kind of do or what Walmart can do as they kind of gross up their businesses? Well, for Amazon, I think, you know, this is a professional question that people ask me. Are they going to get too big to do everything right that they're trying to do? And there are some things that haven't worked out how they've wanted them to. But at the end of the day, they've come to realize internally, I've done some reporting on their own delivery efforts, and they've come to realize internally that among their options, postal service, UPS or FedEx or delivering themselves, it's going to be cheaper to deliver themselves usually. Particularly when this model of hiring independent contractors to do flexible work using their own vehicles in a lot of cases has become so popular in the US, mm-hmm. right? right. I, I'm always surprised that there, there seems to be 
not like companies that are trying to get more drivers like Uber, Lyft, Instacart, etc. Everyone out there is competing for these same people. Amazon's pool of people who can deliver packages for them is going to always be a little bit smaller because you need to be physically able compared to if you're driving Uber or Lyft, right? You have to be able to pick up packages and put them in your car and then take them out and load them. And it's tiring and hard to do that. People aren't only ordering, you know, like bars of soap. There can be bigger stuff that people want and are getting. So that's difficult. But it is a cheaper option, and this pool of people, there seems to be many, many people who are willing to do this kind of work. Like, this is such a popular form of work in the U.S. right now. That's why you have companies like Uber and Lyft and Instacart that are able to grow and spread into so many different markets. And Amazon is capitalizing on that. And part of their pitch to drivers in their Flex program, which is what they call it, is if you drive for Uber or Lyft in the evenings when people are going to restaurants and bars. This is a great supplement during the day if you want to get a few hours in delivering packages when Uber is slower, oftentimes. Hmm. It seems like just, and the Amazon's reputation is just, and that's part of the challenge when you're, I, I guess, for the where we started with the regulation aspect, Amazon just seems popular. And it seems like people to be willing to, is Amazon the one that allows you to just store packages in your trunk and then people can just come by and get it? Or is that somebody is, or am I making that up? Is that somebody else? Yeah, they have a program that um, lets you do that now. Okay. Get so delivered to your car. They also have a, have a program involved with a smart lock, a couple of smart lock partners um, and their own team that's working on smart locks and, doorbells and things like that to deliver packages straight inside someone's home. So, I mean, what's interesting to me is at a point when everyone's questioning social media companies and other tech companies about their power and how they use customer information that Amazon's getting closer and closer to its customers in a physical sense also, and has been largely shielded from a lot of the criticism. Right. That, that's what's just, I mean, yeah. It, the fact that we would have let Amazon into our house through a stranger, like, yeah. And uh, on the one hand, it's like kind of encouraging the amount of trust that we can have in other people, but it also is kind of, kind of crazy when you think about it a little bit. And, and that's where I would just wonder, is there, given how popular Amazon is, given how in the, the lives of customers they are, how easy it is to use the website, how easy it is to use their different products and whatever, and, and their sort of fanatic devotion to making life easier for the customer. Is there a re- realistic way to break up Amazon? I, I mean, I know we could, like, there are the big units that you could in theory separate, but is there, do you think that that, that what you talked about earlier, is there real traction? Is there, is the company preparing for this? Have they, be, I, I know, you know, again, the Trump example is where they're kind of putting together a, a PR strategy to some degree, but are they legitimately looking at, okay, someday we may have to consider how to move this or this around? I mean, how, how much, how much meat do you think there is to this, to this story and to this progression? I mean, perhaps there's some meat because as, you know, there's a lot of people, there's no doubt, I think, that people, 
realize Amazon is a very, very powerful company. But at the same time, when you look at the antitrust arguments and things like that, that would maybe eventually lead to questions about whether stages at this point. And a lot of the arguments are, Amazon's response to all those arguments is usually something to the effect of, we have so many competitors in every industry that we're in. We're in, you know, all these different industries from uh, retail to music to whatever you want to name. Like now uh, voice computing, like pick anything and you could probably name a handful of competitors at least. And so I think we're in the we're still in the early stages of it. And it's hard to really fathom a point when we won't be at least in the next couple, I think in the next couple of years, we'll still be in the early stages of people having these conversations around like, do how, how do we look at its results in different markets? Right. A lot of the antitrust arguments start to really get wiggly when you look at the other side that they bring up, which is they have competitors in many fields. Sorry, that wasn't a direct answer to your question. I just think it's, it's sort of a complicated one that I try to be careful with. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's a tough, it's a tough, I mean, it's, yeah, I just think uh, Amazon is so smart with how they, like they, you know, I don't want to exaggerate, but they do seem to be playing sort of a couple steps ahead. I guess my question for you then is, sort of pulling together these two threads. If you're Jeff Bezos, what, who keeps you up at night more? Is it somebody like Bernie Sanders who might, who is more dedicated, I think, than it seems like the most visible dedicated politician to re- something like more left wing regulation? Or is it somebody like Mark Laurie at Walmart who's leading up the e-commerce efforts or, or somebody else? Like what keeps you if you're Jeff Bezos, what are you worried about? If you're, I mean, richest man in the world, I guess you're not worried about you much. Know, but. You know, no offense to Mark Laurie and Walmart, but I think given Amazon's leadership position in e-commerce compared to Walmart's you know, early stages of, of trying to be better right now, and the fact that he probably knows Mark at least decently well from when Amazon acquired Quincy and Mark spent some time there. You know, I'm not sure if he is kept up at night by him. And also, I think, you know, Mark Laurie, clearly aggressive guy, moves fast, has made a lot of changes at Walmart since he started about two years ago um, to put them, you know, on a path to being a more powerful player in e commerce. The jury's still sort of out on whether or not he can, like, make that happen, right? It's it's a long term effort, and it's still early days for that, as people at Amazon would say. They love the phrase "early days," mm-hmm. um, but it's still early days for that. And Mark sold his last company to Amazon, so he uh, he hasn't. Uh, there's no like standalone example of what he's built in the past, right? I think it still remains to be seen how things work out for his companies. Jet was losing a ton of money, burning a ton of money. It sort of was like a Hail Mary that they got acquired by Walmart in the first place. And so I, I think the jury's out on how much Walmart succeeds in this front. And that said, they're trying, they're trying really hard. They have a lot of initiatives. Anyone who's interested in reading about how the 
digital power dynamics sort of shake out there. I hate to use the word digital, but people who are trying to make Walmart a bigger player in e-commerce and areas of the like can go to our site and, and read an org chart that we compiled of the people who are making those decisions and in that we describe the initiative. So I don't know if Walmart is what keeps Jeff awake at night, if anything. And, you know, Trump's tweets, he's been pretty quiet in response. Company policy is to just sort of pivot as quickly as possible, but don't badmouth Trump either. Um, shy away from that. So um, if there is something that keeps him up at night, I, I would love to know what that is. <laughs> He seems like a pretty comfortable guy at this point in his career. Yeah, and he loves making he loves making pancakes. So if he's waking up relaxed enough to to make some joy of cooking pancakes, that's his favorite recipe apparently, I've read, then you know, it's a pretty pretty good state of mind to be in, I guess, when you're running a company of six hundred thousand people. That, yes, yeah, that that's something we should all aspire to, I guess, to be able to just put Put it aside and make some pancakes. I, I guess it's easy to not be that stressed, though, when you are the richest person in the world. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask a couple, sort of, a couple questions. Your thoughts on where Amazon might be headed? I we put together a couple questions. Just imagine we're in 2023, five years from now. The most immediate thing you would you would mention the Walmart side of this, but what do you think Amazon's physical stores? look like five years from now? Where where are they headed? We've got Whole Foods now. We've got a couple other experiments, but where, where do you think Amazon is going physical store-wise? I think we'll see a lot more of them. They opened up these four-star or five-star stores in New York and elsewhere. I think elsewhere too. They've talked about where they put only products that are really highly rated on Amazon. To be honest, I walked into one, in, the one in Soho, and was like, this reminds me of like a Radio Shack plus the front of a Barnes and Noble, which maybe is not what they were going for, I imagine. But they're trying stuff out and they bought Whole Foods, right? So so clearly they're serious about this. And the pace at which they're opening up Amazon Go stores is, is pretty fast considering they just opened up the first one to the public in January in Seattle. Now they've got three in Seattle. They have one in San Francisco that's just around the corner from our office, okay. the information's office. They're opening up more in Chicago also. So they're pretty fast with this. I think I think by 2023, we'll see that they are pretty steeped in physical retail. And I, I think we'll probably end up seeing more models of stores than they have now because they very quickly went from go to opening up this sort of shop of randomness with a four-star store or five-star store. So I think we'll see a lot more. I mean, there was, there was a report... A few months back, I think in Bloomberg, that they were planning to open up as many as 3,000 stores in the next couple of years. I thought that was a little, you know, when you look at that pace, it's like multiple stores a day opening up. I, I don't know if it's going to be that rapid, but I think we'll definitely see more than what they have now and potentially some some new models for them too. What has stood out as a noticeable or important change to the way we shop that they're trying to make? Is it just the Amazon Go and the cashier list? Or are there other things that they're doing that are like that might change the game as it were? Anything you're seeing? I think the cashier list thing certainly has changed the game, particularly if they figure out a way to expand that to bigger stores. I mean, 
every time I go into one of the Amazon Go stores in Seattle, I was there a few months back and went to a store. I've been to the one in San Francisco. There are always people taking selfies in there. Hmm. And you never see that in a normal store, of course. I'm like, I, I mean, I guess in certain Instagram-focused companies, right, maybe you see that. But in like convenience stores or grocery stores, people aren't normally taking selfies. So I think that has changed the game. I think it's set a different bar. You see a lot of retailers, other retailers, trying to figure out how to mirror that. There are a bunch of startups working on cashierless stuff too, cashierless checkout. I think people may shy away from the term cashierless and say checkout free or something to avoid the branding of cashiers not having jobs anymore. But I think that's been a game changer. And if if they expand that to larger format stores and, and things beyond the convenience store, then that could, you know, just continue that. Okay. Another 2023 question. What what do you think of the projects that Amazon is currently working on, but that aren't a big deal for them on the bottom line or even just revenue? Um what what would you what would be your pick as something that becomes a major driver five years from now? Well, they're trying to build up Amazon Music right now, which um, everyone thinks about Spotify or maybe Apple Music right now. But they even went out and, and did an interview about how they want music to be a big deal, and that's it. Doesn't become surprising when you realize that that's essentially primary thing that people use Alexa for. I wrote a story a few months back. I had some internal data. You would assume that more people maybe shop using their Alexa devices and they've said on earnings calls that it's an incremental driver of revenue. But incremental can be, it's a really vague term. I, I always think it's funny when people right. say something's an incremental driver of revenue. It could be $1. It could be $0.05. Cents. Like that's, in, that's an increment. Um, it, it really is a way to answer without saying anything of value. It turns out... Less than 2% of people who have Alexa devices, uh, who have Echoes, actually have used them to buy stuff off of Amazon. So figuring out other use cases is pretty important for them. And the most popular use cases for Alexa are still like, what's the weather and can you play this song for me? And so I, I think they're, they're really going to be focusing, and they've said this too, they're really going to be focusing on making music bigger restaurants and food delivery amazon restaurants is currently small business relative to uber eats and 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 grubhub and things like that but you know they are looking at markets that they're a little more popular in markets that are not the new yorks and the san francisco's but are maybe a tier lower in terms of city size. I saw some data a few months back and, and was surprised to see them gaining share in other places. And I, I hesitate to name those cities because it might have changed by now. And I, I could be misremembering specific names of the cities, but I think that is one that will... They, they, Amazon cares about food categories, right? You eat three times a day. Sometimes you make food at home, groceries, online groceries, and sometimes you eat out. And, and I think... I think they want to have a solution for all of those because when you get in that food space, there's a lot of opportunities since you know people have to eat, right? So I I think right now people some case in some cases people don't even know Amazon restaurants exist. I think at some point that might change and that could become bigger 
if we're thinking about just the areas that are small right now, that could one day become more popular. Right. Well, it's just interesting when you both of those markets are really competitive and it's just like Amazon, it just seems like they're not shy of saying like, okay, you might have Spotify or you might have Apple Music or food delivery is is not the highest margin business in the world. But for Amazon, I guess would to me, that sounds like the strategy is just if I can get myself into your life in any way possible where we have some sort of like it's adjacent to what we do already i'm going to try to do that because then you're more into we talk about with like the phones with apple trying to get you into their ecosystem and this seems all of these seem like continued ecosystem plays is that is that a way to think about how they keep choosing new markets oh for sure and that's also what prime is right it's an ecosystem essentially there are lots of ancillary prime benefits that people may not realize exist, but it's all about how do we add more to that offering? Like there's photo storage. People may not realize that prime includes some photo storage uh, through Amazon cloud photo storage for on a personal level and, and things like that definitely are designed to make you part of the Amazon ecosystem and make Amazon your first choice. So, Maybe with that spirit, one, one last question I had for 2023 is just what's a new, what, this is obviously going to be more speculative, but where, where's a new area you could see Amazon expanding into that they, they don't currently have? It's not even a small thing. It's something that they haven't really entered yet at all. Oh my gosh. What industry have they not entered? <laughs> the fun thing about covering Amazon is that it's like covering dozens of companies at a time in every industry and you could be writing about healthcare one day given all their efforts there and ai another day and transportation another day and e-commerce another day and fashion another day i should have given this one more thought ahead of time but i'm not sure what they haven't entered yet <laughs> well they're not i don't think good I was going to say, I don't think they're into journalism yet, so I think we're okay. Well, Bezos uh, personally so owns the Post, so, um, that, you true. know, there is that. Are, are we going to separate the man from the company? Trump doesn't in his tweets, <laughs> rightly or wrongly. Right. Well, they, they've considered, they've even considered entering home insurance. I wrote a story a few months back about how internally they've, they've talked about as part of their home automation offering, does it make sense for them to enter the home insurance space if they have uh, Alexa devices in every room can the camera point toward a window after it breaks and see what the cause is. Can they reduce premiums by really having a strong monitoring system? They've talked about that internally, so I think anything is on the table, right? Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, just when you're, and we've been, you know, speaking about them for this, you know, four different, five different episodes now, including our own talk, and it just seems like it's, you know. I think I wrote in one of our articles that it's good they ended up with the name Amazon instead of Relentless or whatever else they were thinking about at conception because Amazon is just such a good image for them in terms of how they keep – they're just so vast and just kind of keep flowing into new things. One last question sort of around this. When, uh, when do you see – how do, how should we know as sort of outside observers when something for Amazon isn't just, you know, something they're fooling around with, but becomes something that they're really 
what's sort of the the tell that something has become a real priority that Amazon is really investing in because it's going to be their next AWS or their next um, third party seller or whatever or Prime or whatever else. Like, how do you how do you perceive when Amazon really throws their weight behind a new initiative? I think it's pretty easy to see when they're doubling down on stuff, right? Like Alexa devices and Echoes at some point a couple of years ago, it was like, oh my God, these things are literally everywhere all the time and prominently on their site. And when you walk into Whole Foods, after they bought Whole Foods, it was like you walked into Whole Foods and there were just like Echo devices, like Farm Fresh Echoes. And so I think they make it pretty obvious when they're really doubling down on something once it's there and it exists like it's it's clear people will know about it it'll be all over their site it'll be pushed to you in emails they'll be out talking about it it'll be the talk of the earnings call etc that's one thing i think that they don't once they realize they really care about something i think it becomes known you might not realize for a little while that that's happening but then once it's it's there it's it's clear they turn on this bigot and it just flows. Okay. 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 This is, I mean, it's, th- thank you for coming on. This is just so interesting. Just all the different areas that they're kind of, they're turning on this bigot or that they're experimenting with and just the different ways that they interact in our day to day lives. And so, um, and for investors, obviously it's, it's just a, really interesting story to unpack because it's been such a big winner, even though there's in theory has to be a natural limit to which Amazon hits, but really appreciate you you joining us. And uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's great talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening and congratulations to those of you who stuck with us for all four parts of this mini series. Read the article we published with this podcast on Seeking Alpha to see our conclusions, limited as they might be, and comment on the article or email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com if there's anything else you took away from this series. If you liked the series, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you didn't, leave us a review or pro reviews whatever the slam. Call it the Amazon way. The next item on our agenda is the Case Learning Shorting Conference. Mike and I will be attending and reporting on any of the big ideas from the conference. We're hoping to have a few interviews lined up as well with some of the presenters. We also want to put together a couple year-end podcasts together to wrap up 2018. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts to get this new feed for this busy December. This has been a Seeking Out production. Thank you for listening. See you next week on Behind the Ideas.